2021. And in the words of Popeye, we've had all we can stands. We can't stands no more. We're talking about rebuilding that aspect of your life that needs rebuilding. Now, here's the reality of the situation. I don't know what that aspect of your life is, but you do. It might be your career. You said, man, it's time for me to rebuild what I do professionally. I'm tired of coming home from a job that I hate and getting up every morning and going to a job that I hate. It might be your relationship with your children. You say, man, my relationship with my kids isn't what it should be, and the blame can go all around everywhere, but I'm tired of, I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be the parent that my children need. I'm I'm going to do whatever it takes to have the relationship with my grown kids that I know I'm able to have. It might be your marriage. I don't know what it is today. You say, I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. I'm going to do whatever I can do because at the end of the day, all you can do is what you can do. Somebody say amen. I'm going to do whatever I can to make my marriage what it could be. I'm not going to worry about what they do. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself. I'm going to do what I can do. Maybe you're here today and you say, man, I'm just tired of being controlled by my hurts, my habits, and my hangups. And I've had all I can stands and I can't stand anymore. I'm no longer going to be a slave to alcohol. I'm no longer going to be a slave to drugs. I'm no longer going to be a slave, in my case to cheesecake and brownies and chocolate chip cookies and seven-layer fudge cake. And then this is how you know you're a sweet junkie, okay? I I don't know much about junkies when it comes to the drug world. I I don't know much about alcoholics, you know, but I've always learned this. It's like an alcoholic will drink no matter how lowbrow it is. You start off with the good stuff, man. But when you need that fix, next thing you know, man, you're buying that $4.99 bottle. Whatever it takes, man. The the gut grenades, man, are going in. I'm such a junkie when it comes to sweets. I opened up the cupboard the other day. I've never even had one of these. I've never even seen one of these. Christine has never even bought these. I don't know how they ended up in the cupboard. But you can't get more rock gut then a box, well, yeah, you can. Let me rephrase that. You can get more rock gut because you can go Dollar Tree all day long with some sweets. But this is about as rock gut as I'm willing to go. She had 99 cent chocolate chip stuffed something, Little Debbie's. And it called to me when I opened up the cupboard and it said, Gary, we're chocolate chip. And I said, I know you are. Literally, I had a verbal conversation with it. And I said, but I can't eat you. And this is what it told me. Just touch us. (laughs) So I pulled out the box, and I touched it. And not only was it chocolate chip, it was soft. Like it was just gooey. And why does gooeyness make it better? And it said, see, we're soft. Eat us. I said, no, I can't eat you. Christine's going to be real mad about this part. I didn't tell her this. And it said, just open us up and smell us. So I opened it up like a junkie, man. 
And I felt this calmness come over my body. And I went to throw it away. And it said, just chew us and spit us out. I said, makes sense. There's no calories in that. I went to put it in my mouth. And I had a decision at that moment. Was I going to keep doing what I've been doing? Therefore, continue to keep getting what I've been getting? Or was I going to break that cycle? So literally in an instant, without thinking, and I'm not sure it was the right decision because I'm not going to lie to you, I have regretted it. I snapped in half, threw it on the floor, and gave it to the dogs. The dogs looked so happy. And I thought their joy of eating this chocolate chip stuff thing would bring me joy. But it didn't. I don't know what it is in your life you need to rebuild. Maybe it's your physical health. Maybe it's your mental health. Maybe it's your emotional health. But here's what I do know today. You know what it is. You know the aspect of your life that has you unhappy. You know the aspect of your life that you know you are living the one life that you have. Think about that for one second. You get one freaking shot at this thing called life. Every day is the day you get closer to death. And you're wasting it knowing, man, I could get this. If I was just willing to rebuild. We get so comfortable in our discomfort. When we become comfortable in our misery. When we just get used to dysfunction that we learn to function in the midst of our dysfunction. I My, my biggest thing that makes my skin crawl. And I feel like I am surrounded by this in my life. Is it's been this way forever. And I'm thinking... But look at your life. Like, are you honestly happy? I was talking to an individual the other day, and this person's struggling with something. And he said, but man, I've been doing this for years. And I said, but you wear that like it's a badge of honor. You've been doing it for years. I've known you for years. And you've been miserable for years. You've been a train wreck for years. You've been unhappy for years. You're a grown-ass adult who really has accomplished nothing in life, not just business-wise, but career-wise, or parenting-wise, or or, um, um, relationship-wise, or financially-wise. I said, man, you literally just live life going through the motions, so you brag about you've been this way for years, but you're miserable. I've never thought about it that way. And I'm like, how can you think about it any other way? You're pulling up, you're harvesting what you've been planting. You don't plant apple seeds and expect to get oranges. It doesn't work that way. What you sow is what you reap. The problem is we are a lazy generation. The problem with the word rebuild is it implies action. It means you have to do something. It means you have to do more than just talk about it. I laughed yesterday. I laughed, but it was a prideful laugh where I was proud of this individual. I've got a buddy of mine, Bubba, and, and he, wants to, he has this vision. He wants to start his own company and doing detailing. He's the only guy I know in the world that likes to wash cars and detail cars. 
And listen, it was cold yesterday. And he posted a picture out in the, out in the cold doing what I got to do. And he said something, I can't remember. Well, something, something's not easy. And I was like, no, it's not easy. Because you know what most people would have done when it was 32 degrees outside and they had to wash cars all day? They'd have rescheduled those cars. They'd have decided there was another day they could do those cars. But when you're intent on rebuilding an aspect of your life, you do whatever it takes. You, you eliminate the excuses, if you will. You quit talking and you start doing Rebuild takes action. And let me make this very clear. It's not easy because if it was easy, everybody would do it. Everybody would be living the life they were created for. Everyone would be fulfilling their purpose. Everyone would have a job they love or a marriage they love. That doesn't mean it would always be easy, but they would feel fulfilled. But we don't want to put in the work. It's easy to sit alone and be miserable. It's easier to blame others. It's easier to look for the quick fix. I get a kick out of people, man, every January. And if you're one of these people, I don't know it, so I'm not picking on you. If you feel mad about this, maybe it's the Holy Spirit of God convicting you. Every year, people are going to lose weight. Every year, people are going to get in shape. But nobody wants to eat right and get in the gym. They want to pop a pill. They want to drink a shake. They want the shortcut way. And the shortcut way might get you short-term results. You might see change. But you'll be right back to what you were because there is no shortcuts in success. There are no shortcuts in rebuilding. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall in 52 days. That's pretty quick. I imagine he could have rebuilt it quicker. The question is, if he'd have built it in 30 days, would it have stood the test of time? Would it have lasted? The problem with so many of us is we live our life going through the shortcuts. We find it going the cheap way through life. That yes, it was cheaper, but when you have to buy it three times, it costs more. Yeah, it's, a, it's the easier way to do it, but when you got to go back and do it three or four different times to get it right, if you'd have just put in the work to begin with, my life would be easier if I was married to so-and-so. No, I wouldn't. Guess what? So-and-so's an idiot too. He might have different issues, but he's going to have issues. She's everything I've ever wanted. You ain't seen her in the morning. Guess what? She ain't. She's got morning breath too. Guess what? Listen, I ain't, she's probably nasty too. Listen, no offense to you ladies. There's a times around here that I clean the building. I, I, I literally am shocked what you women can do to a restroom. Y'all are nasty. You say men are nasty. Women are nasty. But it's always funny, man. You want to go to the next relationship or the next job or whatever, put the work in there. Just put the work where you're at, bloom where you're planted and rebuild. But rebuilding takes work. We're in a series, and we're eliminating the excuses. We're focusing on rebuilding that in our life that we deem is in shambles. I don't care what it is you want to rebuild today. Here's what I want to tell you. These steps work. Now, you don't know my situation. I don't care about your situation. 
Let me make that as clear as I can. Every other pastor can get up and lie and say, man, come to me. I want to hear. I care. I do care about you, but I don't care about your situation. Because whatever your situation is through this series, I'm going to give you the answers on how to get out of it. I don't need to meet with you one-on-one. You don't have a special circumstance. You're not the reason that this won't work. It works for everybody else, including everybody in the Bible, but it won't work for you. Don't flatter yourself. Eliminate the excuses. Put in the work. We're hanging out in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an awesome book. Nehemiah is about a regular dude. Thank God for regular dudes. Thank God for just average, normal people. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. What that meant was he went everywhere the king went, and before the king drank of the wine or the drink of his juice or drank of his water, Nehemiah drank first. If Nehemiah lived, the king then knew it wasn't poison and he was able to drink. He had a government job. The great thing about government jobs is they last forever until you die. Nehemiah was set. He got to be around royalty. He got to be around some of the biggest meetings ever. And it was a job that he'd never lose until he took that drink and died. It was a job, especially in this day and time, that people aspired to. But Nehemiah was away from his the land of his ancestors, because the king that he was serving in previous years, his great-great-grandfather had overtaken Jerusalem, made them captive. And now they had grown up in Persia, but he had sent a remnant back to rebuild Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah, strolling through the market one day, runs into some old friends. And he does exactly what you and I would do when we run into somebody back from the hometown. How's your mom and them? Let's be honest, we don't care how mom and them is. That's just what you ask. How are things back home? I told you, my little brother was in a football game two weeks ago, and so I went to watch him in the state championship game, and I ran into a couple of people I knew from high school. First question you ask, how's things back home? Here's the deal. I ain't been in that town in 24 years. I don't care how things are back home. I don't think about that town. Don't know anything about that town. Wouldn't recognize that town. But it's just what you do. You ask the question. I don't think Nehemiah really cared how things were back in Jerusalem. But he asked. And he wasn't ready for the answer. The guy responded, things are horrible back home. The people are desolate back home. They have no protection back home. They can't revive the city. They can't rebuild the commerce. They can't in, and begin to, to farm. They can't handle the import and export because the walls around the city are destroyed. The walls were so vital. The, the walls provided protection for the city. It kept out outside enemies. It was the first line of defense in war. The, the walls were so vital. The gates of the wall were so vital because it allowed the city to control who came in to the city and who came out of the city. Walls were vital. This is not a political statement at all, but I think we've seen all over the world what happens when there's no walls. So many of the terrorist attacks all over the country have happened because of the abilities to come in and come out. Walls offered this protection. And the walls were tore down from the war that had happened hundreds of years ago. They're back trying to revive the city, but the first thing they got to do is rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah hears about the walls being tore down, and it literally breaks his heart. 
Nehemiah wasn't the first person to hear about the walls tore down. Nehemiah hadn't even seen the walls tore down. Everybody knew the walls were tore down, but God had a purpose for Nehemiah, and his purpose in life was to rebuild the walls. God placed it on his heart to rebuild the walls. This wasn't a quick thought, man, it'd be nice to have the walls rebuilt. This is, man, it'd be nice to have the walls rebuilt. Get up the next morning and be like, man, somebody needs to rebuild the walls. Get up the next day and be like, man, I wonder why no one's rebuilt the walls. Get up a month later and be thinking to himself, man, I think I might be the person to rebuild the wall. Have you ever had that aspect of your life where you knew it needed changing and you knew some things needed to happen, but you just couldn't get over the thought of it? I'm an idea person. You might find that surprising. I figure I have about 972 ideas a day. Of those 972 ideas, 971 and a half of those ideas I never have again. I never think about them. They're an idea, and they're good ideas. I'm not good at much. I'm good at ideas. Matter of fact, I dare say I'm great at ideas. I used to joke, I said, I need to start a company just where you give people ideas on how to start, on what companies they should start. I always have ideas. I think I own, I don't want to tell because my wife would get mad, but the, the amount of URLs I own when I have an idea is, is staggering. Like to the point that when I go into my GoDaddy account, it actually convicts me about it. Love ideas. But the reality is most of the ideas I'm never going to do anything with because I don't care. There's an idea. But every once in a while, I'll get an idea. And the idea doesn't go away. And the idea begins to permeate in my mind. It begins to marinate. And it's those ideas that I know, man, I'm going to step out on this idea and do something with. I don't know what area in your life it is you know is destroying your life. But you're hanging on to it because your life is so effing pathetic. Effing is not a cuss word, so do not owe me. That shows you have a dirty, cuss-word-filled mind. Because I could have been using the word as effing, meaning fantastic. I could have been using it as freaking, as Christian cussing. Or I could have meant exactly what you thought I meant by it. I don't know what it is, but you know it's the one thing that you just won't let go of. And if you could get victory over it, it would change your life. Nehemiah had this. And last week I told you about the foundation that comes along for you to know what gets your focus. The foundation of how you know it's the issues that you need to focus on. And I told you the first thing was what breaks your heart. What is it that breaks your heart? It's my relationship with my children. Okay. But you got to go backwards from that. Because there's something that led to the relationship with your children. See, so you got to know what the issue is. What breaks your heart? What makes you realize you need God? The only way this is ever going to happen, the only way I'm ever going to quit drinking is if I get God involved. The only way I'm ever going to move up and do what I need to do career-wise and, and go after what I want to go after is to have God involved. And then we talked about it, it moves you to action. If you're not willing to take action, that's probably not the thing in your life you truly need to rebuild. I told you, don't even come back this week 
if you weren't going to evaluate those three things. I told you, don't even come back this week if you don't know the thing that needs to be rebuilt in your life. So here's where I'm going from today. I'm going from the angle that you have decided this is what needs to be rebuilt in my life. I don't want to hear what it is. I'm not going to ask you to write it down. I'm not going to ask you to shout it out. I'm not going to ask you to tell anyone. You keep it between you and God. But I assume if you're here today, you've come to the conclusion, blank in my life is what needs to be rebuilt. Nehemiah was there. He knew what it was. He's brokenhearted. He, he, he's downtrodden. It was consuming him. Consuming him so much that the king began to notice something was different about him. Nehemiah 2, the king said to me, what is it you want? He came to him and said, man, well, what's wrong with you? He said, man, I, I'm miserable. My hometown, the, the walls are torn down, and I, and I think I'm supposed to do something about it. That's a dangerous thing to go to the king and say, hey, I want to go back and rebuild the walls that your great-granddaddy tore down when he took my people in slavery. The king asked him a question. The king said to me, what did you want? What is it you want? Gary, I want this. I want that. I want this. Someone asked me the other day, said, what is it you want? I said, I want it all. I want everything they said I couldn't have. I want it all. What is it you want? I want to be able to go seven days without drinking. I, I, I want... Mother's Day to get here and just hear from my child. I, I want to know that my job has meaning. I don't know what it is, but you do. What is it you want? Nehemiah's a pimp right here, boy. Look, at he don't just answer. I, I, I could take some lessons from that. He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. We're quick to answer. And we ain't prayed. I told you this week, you need to pray over what it is you want. Last week when that thought popped into your head, some of them were two or three different thoughts, I told you to pray and narrow it down. So I'm assuming you've done that. Now here's what I know, most of you haven't. They say on average, I don't know how they got these stats, they say 4 to 5% will implement the action steps that they hear at a sermon. Not even a sermon, a talk, a motivational talk or whatever. Four to five percent, even though they agree with what is said and realize they need to implement it in their life, only four to five percent will ever take the action. So I know out of this crowd, there's about four or five of you that will actually do what this series says. But here's what I know. It's so life-changing for those four or five people that I'm going to preach to those four or five people. If the 95% don't get it, that's on them. They can continue to live miserable. Misery loves company. Oh, by the way, I'll be talking about that next week. Because you would think when you step out and try to get your crap together, everybody would be excited about it. Guess what? They won't. Because here's what happens when you begin to get your crap together. It reminds them they don't have their crap together. And they will not praise you. 
They will criticize you. They will mock you. They will tell you that you have changed. Thank God you have changed. Thank God you are no longer the person you were seven years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. And I pray to the God of heaven and I answer the king. If it pleases the king, now he's smart. Butter that king up, boy. If it pleases the king. And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried. And look at Nehemiah. He's straight up honest. So I can rebuild it. That was dangerous. Remember, they had overtaken that city. They had put that city into slavery. You don't overtake a city and then re- Well, America does. And oh, Did I get political? I'm sorry. And then rebuild it. That was dangerous. But Nehemiah didn't sure. He didn't say, send me back to this because I just want, I want to go visit where I came from. Hey, send me back because I want to see some old friends. He was straight up honest. And until you get honest with yourself about your issue, you'll never be able to move forward with what God's telling you to move forward with. Holy smokes, man, this ain't even in my sermon. I ain't even in my points yet. This is good preaching. I don't care if a white boy is doing it. I've seen some black ones shuck the corn. But a white one's getting to bring it today. Say amen, Kevin. Oh, I didn't know if Kevin was here. That was dangerous. If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me the city where my answers are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king... With the queen sitting beside him. I think that's key, because I'll be honest with you. I think the queen was calling the shots. How many of you are married? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the queen sitting beside him said, How long will your journey take? When will you get back? King had some questions. When you go to your spouse and tell them you're going to follow some dreams in your life, don't get mad when they have questions. Preaching to myself right now. It's okay that they have questions. You should be so secure in your vision that you can answer those questions. Took me a long, long time to realize that point. Amen, Christine? Mm. My favorite line was this. Why question it? Have I ever failed? Have we ever been late on a payment? Just let me do it. And then I begin to realize something. She wants me to go do it. But she's invested in it, and when she's invested in it, she's got some questions. Why wouldn't I want to answer those questions? Why wouldn't I want her mind at ease when I'm stepping out? Now, I ain't going to lie to you. I still struggle with the question aspect of it, the authority issues in my life. But I'm getting better. I'm not getting better when other people question it. i got a criteria on when you can question I'll share that with you next week. You heard me say it. You got to know me. You got to love me. You got to believe in me. If you ain't those three things, don't question it. The king said, how long will you be gone? Then it said, it pleased the king. So obviously, Nehemiah answered those questions properly. It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. Boy, let me tell you something. There's some power in setting a time. You can talk about it all day long. If you don't set a time when you're going to start it, you'll never do it. 
I'm going to quit drinking when? You know my favorite sermon. I love the sermon where Pharaoh goes to Moses and they're bringing about the plagues and, and the plagues come along and there's frogs everywhere and they can't even function. The frogs are taking over and he goes to Moses and he says, get rid of the frogs, get rid of the frogs. We'll do whatever God says. And Moses is like, when? He says, tomorrow. <laughs> Why? Because he wanted one more night with the frogs. Got to set a time because that's the problem with some of you. You want one more. I'm just going to finish this bottle. Pour that bottle out, you weak person. I'm just going to finish these pills. I'm just going to finish this. This. Get it, girl. I'm preaching from the crowd. I don't hit those cigarettes right here. That's a hopeless cause for me. You get it. Come on up here and preach next to me. Mm. King's given permission to rebuild the wall. Sometimes you just need permission. Sometimes you just need somebody to come alongside of you and tell you, go do it. It's one of my values, give people permission. I was writing down some things I want to talk about on this, this thing I'm wanting to start real soon. And one of the things was I want to do a talk on giving permission. Here's your permission. Go do what you want to do. Go chase your dream. Go live the life you want to live. <laughs> the king gives him permission and now we're at the stage where it's time to take action. But the problem with taking action is you can take the wrong action. You can jump head first into something. And what do they say? The path of destruction is filled with good intentions. And the reason so many people fail is because they don't do the things that we're going to do. They don't do the things that we're going to talk about today. So once you decide you're going to step out, and this is hard, especially if you're wired the way I am, there has to be a planning component to the stepping out. Nehemiah now has the permission. He's going to begin to evaluate some things. The first thing he's going to do is, and this is what we're going to do, is we're going to plan what we need to rebuild. We're going to plan what we need to rebuild. Sounds cliche as can be, but it's so true. Those who plan to fail, they fail to... Oh, let me phrase that. Those that fail to plan, plan to fail. What's your plan to go start that career? I'm just going to go do it! I learned an amazing thing about bills. Most of them come every 30 days. Someone asked me recently, I said, you're still out doing events? I said, yeah. I said, don't you know there's a pandemic? I said, yeah. But you're still doing it anyway? I said, yeah. Why? I said, because for some weird reason, my mortgage company didn't care. For some weird, weird reason, the electric company didn't care. They want to still get paid. <laughs> Comes every 30 days, you better have a plan. You need to sit back and count the cost of what you need to do. 
You need to evaluate, what do I need to replace or what do I got to do? I want to quit drinking. What's my plan to quit drinking? Do I quit cold turkey? Do I just suck it up and go through the DTs? Do I wing myself off? By the way, winging yourself off is normally a crutch. It does work from time to time, but most of the time it's a crutch. What's your plan to get your marriage better? Is your plan to make sure that they change? Guess what? They ain't going to change. And if they do change, they're not going to change till you change. You say, well, I got to change. You just got to give an account for yourself. You got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and know you've done everything you can do. You got a plan. Look at Nehemiah. Boy, he had a plan. Nehemiah is a stone cold pimp. He is, man. Leadership 101 right here. I mean, this dude, you ever meet people and they just ooze leadership? You ever meet someone and they just ooze confidence? You just ever meet someone like, man, I never saw that coming out of them, but holy smokes, man, they were born to lead. It's Nehemiah. King said, what is it you need? I also said to him, and he starts again, buttering him up. If it pleases the king... May I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so they will provide me safe conduct when I arrive? He knew he said, I gotta travel. There was no Marta. There was no Delta. There was no car. There was no time warp machine that could get him there. He had to go on this journey there by horse and caravan, and not a Dodge caravan either. He knew that he was gonna go through some different countries and he had to explain why he was coming through those countries. He needed letters from the king. <laughs> he said, and may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park? So he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I shall occupy. Shall occupy. He said, I, I'm, I'm gonna need a letter to the guy who keeps the forest. Because I'm going to need wood to rebuild the wall. And I go out there and just start chopping down trees. Old boy's going to want to know who I'm chopping down trees for. And I say the king gave me permission. He's going to want proof. (laughs) And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, always goes back to God's graciousness. You got a plan. But at the end of the day, the most well-laid plan means nothing if God's hand is not upon it. The king granted my request, so I went to the governors, and I gave them the king's letters, and the king had sent an army, also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Hey, check it out. He asked for one thing. Don't miss this. And because he had such a plan in place, the king gave him more. The king said, I'm going to send some soldiers with you. I'm going to send some cavalry with you. I got a buddy of mine who just had a guy who wanted to invest in his company. I knew my buddy would knock it out of the park. He's organized. He's slick, ex-military guy. I mean, he had a plan on paper. And he went to the guy, and he was asking for $25,000. And the guy read the thing, looked at him and said, man, this is amazing. He said, this is awesome. I'm investing. I'm all in. He said, but I need you to know something. 25000 is not going to be enough. I'm going to write you a check for 100000 because that's what you need to get this up and going. That's what happens when you have a plan. So many of you are ready to step out. You're ready to charge hell with a water gun, but you don't even know how you're going to get water in the water gun. You've got to have a plan. It sounds great. People say, Gary, you have a plan? I have a plan always. 
It might seem like chaos to you. It might seem like, I don't know, you might think that everything I post is off the hip. Listen, I had someone that you just post what I said, I don't post anything that hasn't been thought about, calculated. Because I know exactly the reaction I want. I know exactly the wording it needs to be. Because I got a bigger plan for something I'm trying to build down the road. Got to work that plan. And if you work the plan, the plan will work. You'll get the results that line up right with where your plan is. You got a crappy plan, you'll get crappy results. So here's the deal. What is your plan? What's your plan? I asked my dad the other day, I told you, I shared with you, my, my dad relapsed after 31. I said, what's your plan? We had a plan. He said, my plan is 90 and 90. If you don't know what that is, it's 90 meetings and 90. He said, I'm going to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Not too prideful to go to a meeting. He said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. He goes, when I, when, I, when I feel this urge, can I call you? I said, call me anytime you want to. He called me the day I sent him a voicemail. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, he had a plan. I said, hey, I, I got a buddy actually that lives up in this area. I'm going to connect you two guys. Connected them on Facebook. In my Facebook post, I said, hey, I'm connecting you two guys. I don't like group chats. Do not respond on this chat. I said, both of you take the initiative to connect with each other. Both of them connected with each other. Working that plan. What's your plan? I want to step out and follow my dreams with my career. Awesome. You can't go in tomorrow and quit. Remember that whole every 30 days the bills come? Let me rephrase that though. You can go in tomorrow and quit if you already had a plan. You already got enough money put back to run. I'm not saying, I, I, listen, some people say, you got to be able to function for, listen, I'm, I'm not a two-year functioning guy. Man, if I got three months worth of bills in the bank, man, I'll step out and do whatever. I don't care. I'll risk it all. Man, I, I'm stupid. I'll do it with 30 days stuff in the bank. But I've been doing it for a long time. Anybody watch that, uh, I think it's called Undercover Billionaire? Anybody watch that show? It's an awesome show. Well, I know you watch Awesome show. Take a billionaire, give him a truck and a $100 bill. Take his phone. He has no contacts in his phone, no anything. And he has 90 days to build a business that appraises for a million dollars. It's, it's crazy to watch these guys sleep. Like the first couple of nights, the dude's sleeping in his car. Then the guy on the first season, he's going out and he's finding junk because he knows if he can sell metal, the scrap art, it'll give him 40 or 50 bucks. He needs 40 or 50 bucks. Man, all of a sudden, he's willing and dealing. In 90 days, of, it's, it's an awesome show. Awesome show. But it's always awesome to watch them because the first thing they do is they plan. I got to have this to do this, and I got to have that to do this. In order to do this, I got to do this, and I got to do this. And then I get up in this situation, and because I got the brain power, I know I can go get this house with only $3,000 down, and I do $3,000, then I can flip that. I mean, it's awesome. But it all goes back to they have a plan. The reason so many of you fail at life is you don't have a plan. I just want to travel the world. Awesome. What a great vision for your life. What's your plan? Get a plan, work the plan, the plan will work. Fly by the seat of your pants, it's never going to work. The wildest, craziest entrepreneurs you've ever seen, they all had plans. What's your plan to get your marriage back where it should be? What's your plan 
to get your body back in the health you need to be. I'm just going, that ain't going to work. Like, man, I have a plan. I know what I'm eating, what I'm eating, working out, what I'm working out. And I can work the plan or not work the plan, but the plan's there. And if I work the plan, I'll see the results. If it's worth doing, it's worth planning. If you're not willing to plan, then you're really not serious about doing I'm just going to quit drinking. Bullshit. You're not. I called it. I didn't say it. You're not. Stop lying to yourself. You're too weak to quit. You are. If you were going to quit, you'd already quit. Who wants to sit? No one takes their first sip of alcohol and says, I want to be an alcoholic one day and let alcohol control my life and be able to function and not even be able to operate without alcohol in my body because that just sounds like a great way to live. Nobody goes and buys their first lottery ticket and says, man, I want to become so addicted to gambling, I lose everything. It sounds like the life I want to live. That's not how it happens. And you're not going to quit that way. I have a plan. I'm just going to lose weight. No. I get so mad at these little kids at the gym. Like literally I watched one of them work out the other day. Eating a Snickers bar while he's working out. And dude, he's got a six pack and he's swore. I'm like, got to be young again. I remember when I used to be able to eat a whole pizza and then go run a mile after eating it. It don't work that way. I'm 44 years old. It don't work that way. Got to have a plan. What's your plan? Second thing we're going to do is we're going to accept that you can't do this on your own. You're going to accept you cannot do this on your own. You cannot rebuild your marriage on your own. You cannot start a business, I don't care what kind of business it is, on your own. You cannot get your body mentally healthy or physically healthy on your own. You cannot stop drinking on your own. You cannot give up drugs on your own. You cannot. You know why? The Bible says we were not made to do life alone. The Bible says it's not. Matter of fact, it's funny. In Genesis, the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth and the animals and the sea and the day and the night. And every time God created something, he said it was good. Then he created man. And it was the first thing he ever created. I said, oh, I think I can do better than that. And he created a woman. And he created a woman because he said it's not good for man to be alone. We were not made to do life alone. You've heard me say this. Literally, I've said this phrase more than any phrase ever in all my years of preaching. But I find it so ironic. Even the Lone Ranger. Your freaking name is the Lone Ranger. Your name implies that you do everything on your own. You liar. You had Tonto. Even the Lone Ranger knew he couldn't do it on his own. I find it very powerful in the New Testament as they begin to send people out to start churches. They always send them out in twos. 
People say, what do you think about business partners? I say, I don't know, it's kind of weird, but I, I've got one that works really well, and it's, there's power when you know your roles, and it's harder and it's complicated, but it can work. There's power in not doing something alone. Nehemiah leaves, he gets to the place. The first thing he does when he gets to the place is he begins to walk around, and he needs to see the destruction for himself. You've already done that because it's your own life. So you don't got to evaluate. You know the part of your life that you need to rebuild. Nehemiah had to get there. If you go read it, you're going to think I skipped some stuff. I'm not skipping it. But he got there and had to walk around. He had to see the wall. He'd heard about the walls being torn down. He had to see the walls being torn down. Then all the people in the city are like, wait a minute. What's that dude doing here? What's Nehemiah doing here? Wait a minute. Didn't he work for the king? What's he doing here? I, I don't get it. trying to debate if I should disrupt the service for this or not. Parents, if you bring your children to this service and don't want them in the kids' area, make sure they potty before the service. Getting up two and three times a service about to drive me nuts. Back to the sermon. You can't do it on your own. He walks around. Everything's tore down. And look what he does. He gathers the people together. And I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been burned with fire. Come! Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. It will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. So don't go to the next verse yet. So check it out, check it out. He rallies everybody together. They knew the walls are torn down. They're living where the walls are torn down. They're living in the misery of the walls being torn down. But Nehemiah knew, I've got to get them together because I need everybody to rebuild the walls. He said, look around. Is this how you want to live? Is this the life you think you were created for? Hey, unhappy couple in your marriage, is this the life you think God created you to be in a relationship where you're miserable and he has no respect for you? Is that what you think? You think you were created to go to a job that you literally can't stand, get no fulfillment out of, no purpose out of, and just go through the grind to make money, to buy things you don't need, to impress people you don't even like? You think that's what God created life for? Then you got a really low view of God. You think God created you to be addicted to a bottle of liquor? Man, you think God created you to find your fulfillment and your peace by stuffing your face with a piece of cheesecake? Hallelujah, praise Jesus for cheesecake. No. No. He said, look at this. We were created for more. You cannot fulfill your vision without other people in your life. We need accountability. You need people who love you enough that they're going to be accountable for you as you go through whatever path it is you're going down. Because along that way, you're going to want to quit. Nehemiah, you'll see that the workers wanted to quit on day about day 26. 30 days in, Nehemiah had to evaluate and get them all fired back up again because they're ready to walk away. 
I'm not saying you got to, you want to go out and start a business? You ought to have people in your life that have started businesses. You want to restore your marriage? You ought, hey, 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 Don't go talk to the person whose marriage sucks. People kill me with that. So-and-so said, so-and-so's miserable in their marriage. So you're taking marital advice from them? Don't go find a drunk and ask how to get sober. Go find some people to help you be accountable. Now that doesn't mean you can't find people who haven't failed along the way and learn from them. The key is that they fail and get back up. You've got to have accountability in your life. You've got to have encouragement in your life. You've got to have someone to come alongside of you and say, man, I am so proud of you. Man, you are doing so good. Man, keep it up. I know it's been hard. I know it hasn't been easy. You can't do it alone. You need people to come along that are going to work with you. I got a buddy of mine that owns a distillery, and he put on Facebook last week, he said, man, our orders are through the roof. Literally, it's a two-man show in Kennesaw. And he said, can anybody come down? Would anybody got nothing to do and wants to come down and bottle a bunch of liquor today? And I sent him a message. I said, where do I go? He sent me back and said, thank you so much. I've already got so many people. We got it handled. But I, I just wanted to come along and help him. I wasn't going to help him because I wanted to make money. I was going to help him because he's my friend, and it, sometimes it takes teamwork to make the dream work. When the pandemic hit, a buddy of mine owns a bar, goes to his church, owns a barbecue place. And I told Christian, I said, I'm going to go help him for the day. Now, she'd been with me for about four weeks, stuck in the house. I said, I'll be back in a few hours. She said, no, I'll just take all day. <laughs> all day. At the end of the day, they went to pay me. I said, I don't want your money. I didn't come here to get money from you. I came here to help you. Because you've helped me along the way. If Bubba comes to me and says, I need help washing cars, I'm going to say, okay, how much can we hire somebody to do that with? No, I just say, (laughs) well, help. You come to me and say, man, I need help moving. I'm going to help you. We're going to go over to the Chevron and get it handled. Don't worry about it got to have a team you got to have people around you you need accountability you need encouragement you need criticism again it has to come from the right people do not criticize me if you don't know me if you don't know me don't you don't give your opinion but it's not just enough to know me you got to love me if you don't love me i don't care your feedback because you don't want what's best for me that ain't enough either. You got to believe in me. I've shared with you before. I got a family member in my life who knows me, loves me. They don't believe in me. I don't listen to criticism from them. You don't believe in what I'm doing. So who are you to criticize what I'm doing? Because you don't understand what I'm doing if you don't believe in what I'm doing. You'll hear that again next week. But you need someone to come along and say, hey, man, that ain't working. You know, anybody heard of the law of the 10%? The law of the 10%. I'm not talking about giving. When it comes to words, the law of the 10%. The law of the 10% is this. We only say 90% of what needs to be said. 
someone's going through a hard time, we say 90% of what needs to be said because we know the last 10% might hurt their feelings and we don't want to lose a friendship over it. We know the, the last 10% might make them angry. The last 10% might make them mad at us. The last 10% might get them upset. But it's that last 10% that you need to hear. Here's why you can't lose weight, because you keep eating little Debbies. Here's why you can't, here's why, here, here's why you can't lose weight, because you refuse to go to the gym. Here's why you can't quit drinking, because you won't get rid of the liquor. I can't believe you would say that. It hurts my feelings. Do you want your feelings hurt or do you want to rebuild your life? Let me tell you something. My wife, she's the queen of the 10%. My wife might need to learn the 90%, the nice parts. But she's going to tell you the 10% that needs to be said. And it stings and it hurts, and it bruises my ego, and I don't like it. And then I'm like, damn, she was right. And I needed to hear that. And everybody blowing smoke up my butt wasn't improving me. She cares enough to make sure I know what I need to know. You need accountability. You need encouragement. You need the criticism. And you just need to know you're not alone. Nothing worse than being alone. So Nehemiah gets them all together, says, look at the walls. It needs to be rebuilt. And look what they say. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Someone asked me one day, said, is is Bubba your partner with XYZ? I said, no, why? He always says we. I said, because it's we. It's we. It's encouragement to each other. Let us start rebuilding. So they begin thus good work. There's power in people. And you can't do, I just, I'm just embarrassed and I just want to go to, if you're embarrassed to admit your weaknesses, you're hanging out with the wrong people. Let me repeat that. If you're embarrassed to admit your weaknesses, you're hanging out with the wrong people. I just, I, I, I don't know what they'll think of me. Here's the deal. They already know your issue. You think you had them fooled. They just don't understand the law of the 10% or they'd already confronted you about it. Someone came in, they said, man, I'm struggling. I said, what are you struggling with? Substance abuse? That's what we said. I know you're surprised. Like, no, I'm not. I'm surprised you think I didn't know. You've lost 70 pounds in six months and you got track arms. I mean, track marks on your arm. I'm not stupid. (laughs) Shocker. Man, we're going to come up with a plan. I told you it's going to be short, Dad. We're going to come up with a plan. I got to hurry. Them kids are freezing. We're going to come up with a plan. We're going to put people around us. 
And we're going to acknowledge the only way this works is with God. The only way this works is with God. Nehemiah 2.20. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. Mm. Got all those people around. I mean, Nehemiah's feeling himself. Let's be honest, man. They're like, this dude's come to help us rebuild. And I, Gary Lamb, king of ego. I'd have been like, I'm here. Kind of like I do every Sunday. <laughs> no, just kidding. He turned it right back to God. God will rebuild this wall. I tell you all the time, I can't save you. God can. If you're depending on me to be perfect, whoo! God will do it. You better get God involved in whatever. You think God's worried about this? Are you worried about every aspect of your children's lives? It just seems so trivial. Why would God? Why would you as a parent? Bible says he has the hairs on your head numbered. You don't think he cares about what you care about? Gary, I just, I, I just want to go start this t-shirt company. It just seems so trivial. There's people that are starving and people without clean water. I'm supposed to go to God about that? Yeah. Because maybe God wants to use your t-shirt company to get so big that you start to take care of all those people without clean water and food. Man, God loves us. And God is interested in what we're interested in. So you got to come up with a plan. You got to put the right network around you. And you got to make sure God's involved. We'll get to the rest in the coming weeks. Let's pray.